the optimal life. Carlin, how are you today? I'm doing fine, Nate. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks for being here. Um, pretty wild story that it looks like you have and, and that you've endured. Let me start here with you. Um, I assume you've seen the movie The Notebook. Yeah. What does that movie do to you when you watch it? How does it make you feel? Uh, just there are a lot of echoes there, uh, Nate. Um, a lot of uh, flashbacks, and um, uh, it's just—it's—it's uh, it's, it's hard to—it's hard to explain some of the echoes. I mean, one of the things that's different from that movie and ours is our story is my wife was quite young when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She was she had just turned fifty years old. In the movie, I looked like the couple were in their 70s, about where I am now. And uh, so that's a, a big change there, a big shift, but it's there's still a doesn't matter what age you, you get caught up in this whole thing, it, um, it becomes um, problematic. It, you, you've got a lot of common issues to have to deal with. Right. Like when you see the the scene at the end, which to me is one of the most gut wrenching, saddest scenes, where she actually has that little glimpse and she remembers, she remembers him for a brief moment in time after the whole story. He's reading the book, the the whole thing, and, and she has that brief moment of like, "Aha!" Yeah. Is that something that you guys um, have experienced as this process has unfolded? Uh, off and on, yes. I mean, for the first few years, uh, Martha's memory had not faded that much. She was just having, she was having memory issues, but in terms of memory, remembering me and remembering our children and the like, uh, that was not an issue for the first few years. Uh, but towards the end, when she was in an assisted living facility, a memory care unit, uh, I'm just not sure that she recognized who I, who I was. Mm. Um, but there was recognition, nonverbal recognition. I mean, when she was in the memory care unit, by that time, Martha was unable to talk. She was unable to eat, feed herself, uh, and she was unable to take care of herself. So uh, that became... Um, it was just um, not sure who this person was, but I knew that there was a person within that I was going by to see five or six days a week. So let's go back. We're talking Alzheimer's disease, of course. You said that your wife, you guys were you guys were young. Your your wife was only about fifty years old when this all started. Right. So go back for people that may be experiencing it or aren't sure what they're experiencing, but they're seeing things, they're seeing their loved ones changing. What were some of the early changes that you saw in your wife at that time? Talking about before she was diagnosed? Before she was diagnosed. The most uh, dramatic thing for me, and I, I guess I really hadn't paid much attention before that, the year before Martha was diagnosed, and she was diagnosed in September of 1997, 
the year before, she was running for an open seat in the Florida State Legislature. She had been in politics. She had been on the St. Petersburg City Council here in Florida in the mid-'80s, and she was running for this particular seat. And, uh, and there was one, one day where she and the three candidates for this seat were all talking to what was called the Tiger Bay Club, the most influential political group in town. And I'd seen Martha in these situations um, many times before, and she always handled them uh, very calmly and answered the questions directly and, and moved on. But on this day, uh, the year before she was diagnosed, um, she had to ask for every question to be repeated. And um, then after she got the question repeated, her answer was about 10 degrees off, I would say. It just didn't quite make sense. And um, when we got home, I, I asked Martha, I said, what was going on there? And she said, what are you talking about? I thought it went well. And um, I think that meeting probably cost her the election, which I'm glad it did. She lost that by 20 votes. But, and I'm glad uh, that she was not elected in hindsight. But let me ask you real that, quick. Let me ask you real quick, Carlin. Let me just chime in here. You're sitting out there in the audience watching this take place. Correct? Yes. Okay. And your wife, who was typically, it sounds like, a, a pretty sharp person um, and could answer questions fairly easily and on point, you, you saw almost every question that was asked of her. She asked to be repeated, and then she wasn't answering them fully directly. As Correct. that is happening, as that was going on, as you know, the first one or the second one, maybe you're not thinking much of it. But once you get to the fifth, sixth, seventh, and it keeps happening, what's going on inside of your head? Well, just a lot of questions, uh, Nate. I, I, I just had no idea what was going on. And um, I mean, I did you I ever think to yourself, but, but no, there's no way in your mind that you would have automatically thought to yourself, I wonder if she's got some early disease forming. Is that right? You weren't going there. No, no, I wasn't. I, I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I don't think I'd even heard of Alzheimer's at that point in my life. If I had, I hadn't paid much attention to it. Mm hmm. I was 52. We were both fully involved in, in our careers. And uh, so I, it did, that didn't cross my mind. Um, but from that point on, uh, I and our children were trying to get Martha to get in to see uh, a neurologist, a doctor, to see what might be going on. And it took us... From then, it took us nine months to get Martha in to see a doctor. She was just convinced there was nothing wrong. Now, over the course of those nine months, did you guys see other things happening that were similar to the memory thing that she experienced at the city hall? Not, not in such a public manner as, as having 150 people or 200 people out in front of you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I became, I became much more aware of, oh, she, she didn't. She, she forgot this appointment or she she forgot who this person is. And if you're in politics, you can't forget appointments or people. And, um, uh, and so uh, things were, there was a pattern forming in my mind in terms of uh, an issue, some, some issue developing here. Mm. 
Okay, so you guys get her in. Are you guys talking amongst the family, you and your children? Hey, something's off with mom. She's losing yeah. some something. She's losing a step. I'm concerned yeah. about her. You guys are having those conversations behind the scenes. Correct? Well, uh, one of our daughters was in, still home in high school. Another daughter was a freshman in college, and our son was a senior in college the year that she was diagnosed. So that before that, the two who were away could sense something, but they were not there day in and day out like our daughter in, um, in high school. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, there was, I mean, I was talking to them about what I was seeing and, and, uh, didn't, didn't not, didn't see. And she, um, uh, and they were just asking me back and forth what might be going on. Now, how is she but, responding to this? How is Martha responding? I know she said she she sloughed it off at the beginning. Over those course of the nine months, you said it was it took you guys a while to convince her to go in there. When you would bring it up to her, hey, we're concerned, blah, blah, she would just push back. She would push back. I mean, Martha, uh, those who know her would call her a very stubborn person, a very forthright person. And um, and so she just didn't did not want to acknowledge that there was anything going on. And just as an example, when we did get Martha into the neurologist's office, uh, she went in by herself. I did not go with her. And when I got home from work uh, that evening after she'd gone in, I asked how it went. And she said, well, the doctor was taking too long to see me, so I left. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to we had to reschedule for September, early September of 97 to go through these, this testing and, and the like. Okay. So 25 years ago, um, 25 almost, years ago, almost to the, to the date here. So, so what was the, what was the, the final straw where she at least said, okay, I'm willing to at least go get looked at what happened. Was there a specific event that happened that caused concern? And then she was like, fine, I'll go to the doctor. Not really. I, I just said, Martha, this time, uh, would you like for me to go with you? And she said, yes. And so I, I went with her and just sat with her. And that was, I guess, some comfort or some support. It was support. And so uh, that uh, went in and, and ran through the series of tests that the doctors said. It was another three weeks before we got the results from those tests. But uh, they, were, they were sort of simple things, such as who is the current president? Uh, uh, take, starting at 100, subtract by seven down as far as you can. And she didn't get, didn't get past 90. She didn't even get to 93. And um, wow. a few other things, other kinds of testing. And then they come back. They come back three weeks later and they tell you what exactly? I, I'm I'm sorry. Hold on, just go ahead. They they come back three weeks later and they tell you what exactly? Well, when we came back, I mean, the neurologist that who was Martha's doctor did the testing. We came back and we really liked him. He was warm, empathetic, and we um, had um, expected to see him. So when we came for the appointment, they said, we're sorry that um, the doctor is 
cannot be here. He's had been called away on an emergency, but his associate will be talking to you. And this associate, um, Nate, uh, he could have been a character. He could have been a replacement for Dr. Spock on Star Trek. I mean, he was cold, he was cerebral, and uh, he, he invited us into his office and he sat us down across from a big, across from him on a big desk. And then uh, said, I'm, I'm sorry, it looks like you have early onset Alzheimer's and our jaws dropped and and, uh, and he started explaining some of the technical stuff. And I was just thinking, I don't need to hear all this stuff. And, and um, I mean, our world um, was not turned upside down. It was imploding before my eyes and certainly I think before Martha's eyes in terms of the world that we had been living in. You guys leave the office that day. You go back in your car. What's the first thing that you and her say? What do you say to each other? What does she say? How is she responding? Uh, we get into the house and um, we just start crying. Mm. And um, after we start crying, stopped crying, uh, Martha looked at me just as clear eyed as possible. And she says, I do not want to tell a soul. I don't want to tell my children. I don't want to tell my parents, my brothers, and certainly don't want to tell any of my friends. And it was just a the, the whole stigma that gets associated with something like this until person, until that sort of wears off and, and you start wanting help and needing help. But that's, that's still an issue with this, with this disease. It's just a mental disease. It's just that stigma of, I don't want anybody to know. Now, 25 years, and that makes a lot of sense. And that's exactly what I expected she would say. 25 years ago, I don't know how much the medicine or the science has advanced since then. I mean, obviously, there's no cure for Alzheimer's or dementia. There's no turning back the clock on it. Um, were there any ways that they suggested to you guys back then on slowing it down? And if over the course of time, as you've you know obviously been close to this thing, are there ways for people currently going through it that might help them slow down the Alzheimer's? Uh, Nate, then... Um... The first thing, uh, he, the neurologist offered to put Martha up on an experimental drug that was just being tested. And I said, we'll do anything. And Martha said, we'll do anything. But that turned out to be uh, uh, useless. It, it, was, it was not any good. The only thing that uh, Martha was put on was Aricept. And uh, I don't know if that had any impact or not. My What's Aricept? Uh, A-R-I-C-E-P-T. Uh, but my reading today is there are a couple of drugs uh, coming out uh, that have been tested. One of them approved by the FDA. Another one sounds like it may be approved by the FDA that, again, are not cures, but are delaying the symptoms. I, I can't pronounce their names. They, they're... Uh, so if someone's interested, they, they can go look at look that up. I assume Aricept 25 years ago was also a drug that they had you guys test. Is that right? That they also what? They had you guys use that to, to test out. Yeah, we, we use that okay. on a continuing basis. I did but see I could... something recently, Carlin, that Canada has come out with a, a drug. I forget exactly the company. This was in the past month or two. Um, But I'm drawing a blank on that as well. Uh, well, the, uh, the, the, uh, the 
company that uh, is coming out with the most recent one after their testing is Biogen, which you may have heard in relation to the uh, and then, uh, the COVID vaccine. Right. Uh, but um, I, I just don't know its name. Okay. So there's really, uh, there's really, especially 25 years ago, there was nothing that was going to slow down um, no. this thing from intensifying. No. So you go forward now. What does what does it look like? What do you start seeing just in a, in a general deteriorate, deterioration of the brain and the mind? What are the things that you're seeing unfold in front of your eyes over the coming months and years? Well, uh, the uh, I, in our story, and I've written a book on this um, called A Path Revealed. That is uh, that is not a caregiver's guidebook. There are a lot of caregivers guidebook today. Uh, our, in our story, Alzheimer's is the context uh, of it. Uh, it's and it's more of the uh, the odyssey that we went through emotionally, and spiritually, and mentally. Um, the day that uh, Martha was diagnosed it turns out that she was willing to talk to one person besides me. And that was a good friend of ours who had married us, a, a retired minister. And she was wanted, she was willing to talk to Lacey. And, and we called him and he came the next day. And uh, after Lacey uh, got the, got the news from us, he said, you know, I send a lot of my friends uh, I send a lot of my friends in crisis up to see a friend of his in Kentucky, who is a retreat director at the Sisters of Loretta, uh, a, a, a community there. And, um, and he said, I would encourage you to go. I don't know what you'll find out or if it'd be anything meaningful. I think it will be meaningful for you. So we did go up there for three weeks, for a week. And three weeks later, we went up there for a week. And that was just a that was the start of a very good time of helping us get sort of centered. I mean, our life was just falling apart in a thousand pieces, and uh, it was this was on a uh, compound of about eight hundred acres, and we could walk anywhere. We talked with this nun for about an hour or two a day, and and she had some uh, interesting observations about us and whatever else, but did not offer much. But it was a very restful time or a very good time to try to collect ourselves. So what, so you know, and just to piggyback off of that, um, how, how long did it take generally, Carlin, once she was diagnosed till it was like full-blown where she really had forgotten everything? How many years was that? Um. My memory's fuzzy on this, but I'm I'm going to tell you six or seven. Okay, so she's in her mid fifties at this point, fifty six, fifty seven. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, um, and and you know, you you hear these stories, of Nancy Reagan, the long goodbye. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and millions of other people that have suffered through this because you're watching your loved one. It, it, the deterioration is so small on a daily basis because you can't really, there's not like one day she's there and then the next day she's completely gone. It's, it's really a slow progression, correct? Uh, you've got that correct, yes. I mean, but 
Uh, one of the things that was almost immediate, Martha was a highly confident person. And with this diagnosis, her confidence just shattered, went, through, went right through the floor and became much more of a timid person, much more of a uh, passive person. Um, and uh, two years after, two years after her diagnosis, uh, our sister-in-law KK came to us and came to Martha and said, Martha, why don't you and I get into a watercolor painting class? And Martha had never done that. She had been an outdoors girl, loved to dance, was very expressive and whatever else. But because KK was going to do it with her, she was willing to do it. And, and the more and more she got into this painting class, her confidence just began to bloom again. And that was just an incredible kind of experience for me to see this. She would take me out to an art uh, uh, sh shop and, and boss me around about, I need this and I need that and I need this and we need that and whatever. And I, I, was, just, I, I was loving it, just being able to see that kind of turnaround. And the art that Martha produced was pretty uh, awesome in my experience. And uh, her teacher came to me one day and said, Carlin, nobody can teach what's going on with Martha here as far as the coloration. And it's just, it's, it just, it amazed the teacher and it was amazing me about what she was capable of doing. And that went on for about two to three years. And then that faded away. Um, but that was, that was a, a very strong influence early on in terms of just making, making um, it being less horrific. Yeah. Finding some kind of, finding some kind of hobby or stimulation. Um, that that and music and dancing yeah. and right. Yes. Well, you mentioned she's not gone yet. This is what one of your bullet points. And you say four things to remember when your loved one's memory fades. What are those things to remember? Well, I think the I think the most important thing to remember is, in my case, Martha was still a person. Just because her memory was gone does not mean she, and because she was not able to talk, does not mean she was not a person. And so that was forcing me to step into Martha's world and not get into arguments with her about Martha may say something that I knew was wrong, uh, but I, I stopped trying to correct Martha. Uh, I stopped trying to correct her. Um, I would assume that that's a, a common thing, Carlin, where people, the spouse, a loved one, the person, you, you know your loved one's memory is gone or is fading. They're not there. They're not able to really calculate everything that you're saying. So they may come back and say, no, no, no. You said X, but I'm telling you it's Y. And then you as the loved one, knowing the situation, has to be empathetic or sympathetic and understand what's going on and just basically concede because you know it's a, it's an argument that's not going to win. It's an argument that's not going to win. And But, it, Nate, uh, for me anyway, it took me a while to figure that one out. Yeah, I would assume that's a common a common pitfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other uh, the other thing that was important to us um, 
that this nun that I was referring to earlier uh, suggested to us that we look into the practice of meditation. And when we got back, um, at our friend Lacey's suggestion, we looked up a Father John Main, a Benedictine monk, who was quite simple and authoritative in this. And uh, so we began our own practice of meditation. I'll just, uh, we would sit side by side and um, I would quietly repeat the word that uh, I basically had chosen. And over time, Nate, uh, I began to see Martha's anxiety level come way down. And, and my anxiety level came way down. And that, that was really important, just to, to de-stress because of this situation. Now, does Martha know her anxiety level has come down? Or are you really the only one that knows that? I can't answer that. <laughs> I, 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 well, I, I, I do sense Martha... Martha had had more of a, I don't know, how do you describe, more of a piece about what was going on? More of a I don't, an acceptance? I don't know if that's the right word or not. Was I, she I, able to articulate to you, hey, Carlin, this meditation stuff is really helping me feel better? No. She no. couldn't do that. I just I just saw that she was not, uh, not as scared. She was not as anxious about... What, whatever. I mean, she still was wanting me at her side a lot, but it was just the the her behavior was changing. You 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 sensed a, a more yeah, calm state. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so meditation really played a, a positive role in your guys' journey. It did. You mentioned the spiritual, the mental, the emotional. These things that you guys did, you connected yeah. on a different level. Talk about a little. Give dig into that for us. Well, one of the things this nun told us as we left, she said, you might look into the difference between being willful and being willing, between willfulness and willingness. I was an entrepreneurial publisher and editor of a regional magazine here in the Bay Area. Martha was into politics. And if there is anything that is... Uh, willful, that is being an entrepreneur and being into politics. I mean, you just got to go ram it straight ahead. And we had um, <laughs> never come across a problem that somehow we had not been able to resolve. We had not been able to resolve this problem. And, uh, and but when she said that, I had no idea what Sister Elaine was talking about, willful versus willingness. But that's been on my mind ever since, even, even to the day, as I see patterns of behavior in me and the like of being super stubborn or trying to just force my way through on something. And, uh, but that, and that's where meditation has helped me a lot in terms of being willing to, okay, what are the other options that I've got here or, or the like? Um, so, um, the, when Martha went into the nursing home, and that was in, um, that, she was diagnosed in 1997, went into the nursing home in 2008. So 61 years old, give or take. Uh, yeah, and then she died in 2014. When she went into the nursing home, I often would go in there and find Martha 
curled up in her chair or in her bed in a fetal position with a with her right arm behind her neck, right hand behind her neck, and just anxiety was being was exuding from her. I don't know what was causing it or whatever, but uh, just following along on the practice of meditation, I I sat down beside Martha, slipped my hand into hers, and quietly began to repeat our word. And it wasn't long before Martha body began to unfold and just relax and she and she either would just fall asleep or look out the window or look stare at me whatever and there was just a I don't know how to describe this there was just a piece that descended in this room that was I haven't experienced since then and so what do you think that was Carlin well, I happen to, uh, my, my faith background is Christian, which does is, is not a, uh, a slight on anybody else's faith background, but I just sense that that was the spirit of Christ, however anybody else would define it in their life. It was just a, a, a transcendent kind of spirit that just came on us during those times. And, and how long did that go on for? Was that several years while she was in the home? Yeah, I mean, it just for the, during the six years that, that she was there, I, and and it was not every time. Nate, don't misunderstand me, but there was it was enough that I just that pattern is very clear in my mind. And so you pretty yeah. much knew you were going in there; it was going to be something similar every time. When you would go in well, there, uh, Carlin, and you would go and you'd see her whether she's in a fetal position, whether she's sitting normal. Was she completely? Uh, did she have any recollection of who you were at that point? Uh, sometimes, uh, and she was not always in a fetal position. When I went in, we would, uh, get into the, get her into a chair and we would go outside and what, look outside and look at the ducks in the pond and whatever else and sit there. Um, what are the so, conversations like Carlin? You're, you're walking her around, you're showing her nature. Is she able to respond to what you're saying? Or is she basically just an observer? She's basically an observer, uh, and not even an observer. I don't know if you would even call it that. Uh, she, um, uh, I would, I would go in and say, "Hi, Martha. I talked to Rachel today. Rachel was in college, and tell her about our conversation." Or I talked to David, or, or, or Catherine sent this out to her, and and the like. And um, uh, and so it, um, it just, and I, it would, it, it would be a monologue on my part. But uh, I, I could sense some connection there, sense some connection going on. And back to a point I was making earlier, as, as I would do these things, I could sense some reaction in Martha. I can't describe what they were, but that was telling me that there was still very much a person inside this, not shell, but inside this body that was not able to think the way she used to think and talk the way she used to talk because Martha had always been a gabber. And, um, and so, I mean, that just was reaffirming to me that just because she had lost these capacities, she had not lost being a person. Beautiful. That's well said. Take us back to the day. There had to be a day where your children are there and all of a sudden, mom says, who is that? 
who are, who are you? What was that moment like for your kids? Well, I can't remember. I, 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 I really don't remember her, her even being able to articulate that. Who are you? I mean, she would, I do remember her sort of looking at me and looking at the children, very blank faced, but I, I do not remember her saying, saying those words. Nate. So you never heard her say, who is that? Or who are you? Uh, um, to any I, of your, I, she probably did, but I, that was not a significant enough thing in my mind that, that it stuck. How how did your kids? I mean, as they're sitting there seeing their mother uh, deteriorate over those several years, what what's that like for them? How do they get through it? Who are they leaning on, et cetera? After David and Rachel graduated from college, they both had moved back here, and by that time, Catherine had gone on to college, and. Um, they came to me one day, uh, not long after both of them were back here. And they said, Daddy, we want to give you one day, one weekend a month off. And I said, whoa. Uh, and that was the greatest gift I received during this whole 17 years. Uh, and so they, they would spend... Um, that weekend with their mother. And uh, and as you can imagine, their roles were reversed. They were having to be the mother and the father, if you will. And Martha was the child. And they would do things that uh, go walking with her or, or whatever else they felt like they could do with her, but our children had, during that time, they grew up real fast and, and faster than I ever grew up at that age. Mm. And, and, and that was, I think it was significant for them. I think it was significant for me. And I also think it was significant for Martha to have them there consistently, at least for that weekend. Yes. So, so they were, they were involved as, as they were being caregivers to their mom. Yes. They were taking care of her. Um, yes. Quite often when there's a tragedy within a family, it can go one of two ways. It could make the family that much closer and pull you guys together, or it could rip a family apart because of all the sadness and anger and right. frustration and everything. What has it done to your family? Well, it's, I, I, I think it's, we are in a much more, uh, if, if strong is not the word, uh, a much more empathetic with each other, much more uh, paying attention to each other. Um, uh, and uh, I mean, each of them, David now has three children. Catherine, has, uh, Rachel has two children. Catherine is a foster parent with her partner with three children. So they have their own lives that they're living, but they stay in um, 
they stay in more uh, constant touch with each other than I did with my siblings growing up, I know. Um, and so I guess my life and just a few other people's lives that I'm aware of, I just see them uh, being closer together than, uh, than they probably would have been. Because Martha would have been, Martha would have been in sort of the center of gravity of our family. And uh, that just dissipated with this, uh, with this diagnosis, with this disease. As you're going through your own long goodbye, Carlin, and day in, day out, trying to be the, the husband that, that you always were, trying to be a caregiver to this woman who you love, as you're going through your slow, long goodbye, who are you leaning on? You seem like a spiritual person, a man of faith. Who are you leaning on, and, and what does your relationship with God look like throughout that, that process? Um, my um, faith, uh, the, fa the faith that I grew up with, just uh, was not, um, it, it, it was not substantial enough to get me through this. I, I had to, uh, I, I, I started a lot of reading, not only on books of faith, but other books of medicine and whatever else. And um, I did begin to I immediately begin to start a journal, not for spiritual or faith reasons, but for reasons to just keep up with all the information that was coming at me and basically closed it down uh, 17 volumes later uh, when Martha went, went into the nursing home. But I met, I met, I encountered several um, mentors along the way. I mean, Lacey, Lacey, who I mentioned in the first at the beginning, the sister Elaine, uh, and other mentors who helped me with one dimension or another. And, and, and I, they just seemed to come out of nowhere. I don't, I don't know how to explain why they came up at that time, but they did. And I could have, I could have, um, just shrugged them off and just said, forget this. But I, I chose to listen to them a bit. I mean, the best piece of advice I had from one mentor um, was, um, Carlin, as you're going through this, be gentle on yourself. Be gentle on yourself. Because I was, a, by nature, a perfectionist. And this thing was not going the way I wanted it to go. And I was, I was beating myself up a good bit. And, um, and I, that almost broke me. It was a stupid notion that I could do this myself. And I had to learn to draw on other people, friends, family, and the like to help me get through this. Was, was one of your conflicts, the internal conflicts, too, Carlin? That that's that's powerful stuff, and that makes sense. Be gentle on yourself, because I assume that a lot of people that are in your shoes are not gentle on themselves. But was there? Um, it's just gut wrench, gut wrenching stuff. Um, just hearing it. But was there a uh, feeling or thoughts that come into your mind 
that you'd have to battle and push out the thoughts along the lines of why me? Like what, what would my life look like if this didn't happen? I wish this didn't happen. What would Martha be? To, how, how do you, how do you prevent yourself from going down that rabbit hole where that just consumes you? Um, I'm not sure I had time to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I mean, things were, but you know, in the dark of night, after Martha was asleep, uh, I I did have. I don't know if I had thoughts of that. I was much more fearful about what the future was holding, mm. and uh, I just did not know where it was going. And um, I had three or four moments through this whole time that were the hardest moments for me to get through. One was just getting the diagnosis itself. Uh, the uh, second one was having to take Martha's car keys away. I thought I had totally betrayed her. Um, <coughs> a, a third one was actually moving Martha into the nursing home. That day was, I again felt like there was this whole sense of betrayal. And then a fourth, about five years into this um, uh, time, Martha had a full-blown seizure. I had never seen anybody have a, I had not been around anybody with a full-blown seizure. And um, she, I was downstairs getting breakfast ready and I heard a thud upstairs, ran up there and she was on the floor, curled up in a fetal position and just shaking all over. And all I could do was just sit down and some remembering some things out of the Boy Scouts and making sure that she was not swallowing her tongue or, or whatever else and just hold her while she did. And so uh, uh, to this day, I'm not sure how I got through that, these things, but it, um, there's something there that pulls you through. Mm. I mean, it, it just it pulls you beyond yourself. And, um, and that to me is, is a, a signal of, uh, God's spirit working in ways not seen, not known, not heard. Um, but um, in hindsight, you could say, yeah, that, that, was, that, that was God's spirit. We're getting close to finishing up. A couple more things. Um, throughout this whole thing, it's been devastating. You would never wish this upon anybody. But usually within trauma and tragedy, there are sometimes silver linings that can be drawn from those. Has there been a silver lining for you throughout this entire process? Well, uh, I, I mentioned one, this uh, thing of Martha's uh, uh, painting. Um, and that was a real confidence booster for her and for me. Uh, Has there been a, been a silver lining in regards to your outlook on life, your relationships with people. I'm just throwing different things out there. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm much more, <clears throat> I, I would say I'm much more understanding of people and their problems. I thought they could solve problems as quickly as I thought they should, <laughs> thought they should. And um, I, I'm, 
found, finding myself to be um, uh, much more patient, uh, finding myself um, to realize I don't have all the answers. Um, I guess that's, those are some of the things you're talking about. It, it, yes. I would say that it's made me much more of a, an empathetic person. Um, uh, just, well, what, wondering what's going on in that person's life rather than immediately reacting right, right, right. to their behavior. Yes, absolutely. Hey, you mentioned, um, you mentioned that throughout your journey and your process, one of the things that helped you was reading, reading a lot of books. Yes. And um, let's finish it off with your book, A Path Revealed. Talk a little bit about your book, who should be reading it, and what you hope to get out of that. As I said, the book is titled A Path Revealed, and the subtitle is How Hope, Love, and Joy Found Us Deep in a Maze Called Alzheimer's. And I've talked to enough people who said, this is not just, uh, this book is not just for those dealing with Alzheimer's, but for any kind of long-term crisis, this could be a very helpful kind of book. Not that our story should be your story, Nate, or anyone else's story, but just the whole point of sharing stories makes connections as people think in terms of their own situation. And um, so uh, I, I started writing that in 2015. It came out in 2016. And if you're, if you're interested in looking at it, uh, my, you spell my name, C-A-R-L-E-N-M-A-D-D-U-X. Um, and it was just, as I look back on that time, I, I drew uh, the, the journals that I had uh, put together. When I cracked it open, cracked them open to um, start writing this, I just said, oh, this is too raw. I can't write this. But I finally got past that. And um, and so I, I think it was uh, really helped me in the grieving process. As Martha died in 2014. I started writing this after that. And just it, it helped me in my own personal grieving process while I'm still trying to be honest and direct and encouraging as I can based on our life story here. And we'll make sure we link that book in the show notes. Anyone that wants to take a look, click the link in the show notes. You could learn more about Carlin and his his experience, his mission, his book, et cetera. My last one for you, my friend. I appreciate you being raw and vulnerable and open with us today and, and sharing this painful story. Uh, what does life look like for you since? Since uh, Let's go with two phases. The day she left and went into the, the nursing home. You had to, you had a loved one there to still care for, but you still had to kind of start anew as probably as weird and difficult as that was. So talk about that process for you. And then ultimately what life has looked like since she has passed on. Of the, when Martha went into the nursing home, that was 2008. I still had my magazine that I'd founded uh, two decades earlier and was still very much involved in that. Uh, we closed that down in 2010 for different reasons. One, uh, the, the Great Recession was on, and 
all print going to digital was another issue involved there. Um, but I, I, I just really stayed uh, until 2014, just stayed pretty closely involved with Martha. Uh, since then, um, I, uh, as I was writing the book, that kept, that kept me focused for a couple of years. I also began writing a blog to, to tell our story out of the book, not to re be redundant with it, but to put different angles on it, but also to tell other people's stories that I was meeting uh, and how they, how they were getting through primarily with Alzheimer's or dementia issues. And so that's, that's been giving me meaning through the, through the, through the years. Mm. Um, Talking to people that are going through something similar. Yeah. And, and, exactly. and let's, and yeah, actually let's pick you, let's finish it off with actually that somebody that's listening right now, they wish that they can just sit down and talk to you. And they say, Carlin, I'm going through the same thing. I have a loved one, whether it's a spouse, a parent, uh, a friend, a sibling, whatever. We're going through it right now. What can we do to feel better about our situation, if anything? You know, you got the advice from your friend, your mentor. Be gentle with yourself. What kind of advice would you give anybody else that's going through it right now? Um, my first reaction would be, Nate, talk to me. Tell me what. Tell me what's going on. What? Let Let me hear. How would you describe where you are? Uh, and then we would get into a conversation like you and I are getting into a conversation. And um, and if and frankly, if they would like to get in touch with me, um, they can find my email address on my website, carlinmaddox.com. And they can get in touch with me that way. They can sign up for my blog to just read the blog posts that I've got there. Uh, and I'm very open to, I've, I've developed some real close friendships with folks through the years that I've had this blog post. And, and their loved ones, uh, some of them have passed on at this point. And, um, but so I, I, I'm open still to, I don't have, I won't have the answers for them, but at least can tell them what I did. And if that connects, then uh, that, that would be good. And just as a quick example, before we close off me, one thing I learned after it was too late for me, uh, one of the things that get out, out in public, it would be, it'd be embarrassing to me when Martha would go up to somebody and just start yapping and not making any sense. And people would look at her. And I heard about someone having a business size card saying, my wife, Martha, has Alzheimer's disease. I appreciate your understanding. Would, and just pass that card to them after sort of the puzzled look on their face. And that changed the complexion of everything. Uh, that's just a little tip. Sure. But, uh, but I wish I'd known that and would save many uh, uh, an embarrassment for me. Yeah. And those are the types of things that you could help other people with that are new to the process and that have a, a long yeah. goodbye ahead. Hey, uh, Carlin Maddox, A Path Revealed. Thank you so much, my friend. Continued blessings to you and your family. Thank you very much, Nate, and to you as well.